Chapter 13 Farewell Triumph The night was silent. The moon hung high. Its reflected light left the sky deep blue and erased stars not bright enough to slice past its radiance. The German prisoners huddled on the ground, asleep in their temporary prison cell. A chill in the air sent puffs of steam out of their mouths with each exhale. Jonah Unger snapped out of fitful sleep. Whatever nightmare was hunting him vanished, unrecalled, except for the metallic taste of fear in his mouth and the echo of hooves galloping across broken ground. He rubbed his eyes and took a moment to gather in his surroundings. No nightmare here, just a pile of unwashed men in unwashed clothes, trying to escape their circumstances in dreamland. The stench was ripe and bitter, but simple unpleasantness would never tax him again. There might be marching tomorrow, but it would not be to the front. There might be work to be done, but it would not involve a machine gun. Captain Strathman was beside Jonah. Jonah looked over at him and was surprised to see that Strothman was still awake too. Can Nick Schlafen? Strothman smiled. The bed is too soft. On the firmer pillow would be nice. Jonah could not hold in a laugh, although he kept it contained as much as possible. Yes, the beds were too soft, and as Strothman said, a firmer pillow would be nice. Jonah suppressed another giggle, which heated his whole body. Strathman, still warmed by the red wine, smiled. I'll speak to the hotelier in the morning. Jonah laughed aloud. It felt sublime. Dappled sunshine hitting your face in the Bavarian spring. Yes, a complaint to the innkeeper was definitely in order. Jonah gazed out into the yard, toward Diestel's stretcher. A chill ran through him. A moment passed as he processed what he saw. Captain? Where is Lieutenant Diestel? Strothman followed Unger's gaze to the stretcher. It was empty. The bloody sheet cast aside. No sign of Diestel's corpse to be seen. In the pasture, the fire burned low. Deep orange embers shimmered amongst blackened remnants that had run their course, from drifting seed to sapling to middle age and sundered by lightning interrupted in their journey back to soil and dust as they were unceremoniously yanked from the earth and tossed into the chaos of the fire pit. Their last energy had now been consumed and released as heat into the black emptiness of space. Renoir, Francois, Isaiah and James basked in the final glow, all deep in rum-infused slumber. Durant lay awake watching the moonlight hit the mist as it rose out of the pasture. He sipped from the jug, then corked it. The chill of the evening was beginning to take hold. He gathered the last of the blankets that Caitlin had brought, and folded it into a pillow, and lay back atop it, shuttering his eyes. Just as sleep began to unfold him, Duran bolted upright at the sound, eyes wide, hands reaching for a weapon. He surveyed the camp, Breathless for a moment. None of the other men stirred. Nothing to be seen, no sound but the crackle of the fire. He shook it off and lay back down. It must have come from inside his rum-addled head, he thought. 
the clawed hand of a nightmare waiting to drag him over the precipice into its saga. He settled himself and closed his eyes. Jack was back up in a rush, on his feet, hands fumbling for a weapon and finding the handle of Isaiah's trench spade. But there was nothing to face down. No cause for the clattering and gnashing. Durant reached into his kit bag and pulled out his flashlight. He switched on the beam and focused the light, scanning the camp, seeking the source. Francois' sandbag. It vibrated in time with the sound. Durant walked toward it. It went silent and still. What's going on? Durant almost leapt out of his skin. James had opened his eyes and was rubbing the sleep out of them. I said, what's going on, Lieutenant? Durant's heart pounded, his mind searched for reason. Rats. James stood quickly, a look of barely contained fear on his face. Rats? Durant walked to the sandbag. Hold this. He handed James the flashlight and hefted the trench spade, testing its weight and balance. James aimed the light at the bag and stepped back. Gosh, if there's rats in there, leave them be. I don't want them crawling around out here where I'm trying to sleep. I mean it, Lieutenant. Durant ignored him. With one hand, Durant undid the knot that held the bag fast. He readied the spade to strike, lifted the bag, and stepped back as the four heads tumbled out into the dewy grass. Nothing. No rats. Nothing. Then the eyes of the heads shot open wide. Their teeth snapped and bit the air. Durant leapt back. James screamed. Oh my God! Renoir, Francois, and Isaiah started awake at the cry, grabbing for weapons as they got their bearings. Isaiah's drawl was filled with annoyance and implied retribution. Y'all need to shut the fuck up! The heads sagged, mouths gawking, eyes sunken and unfocused, utterly still. James was backing away in shock. Then he turned, perhaps to run. His path was blocked. The flashlight beam caught and lit a ravaged face. Johann Diestel in the flesh. James took a half-step backward. Holy mother of God! A voice rumbled out of Diestel's twisted mouth. Ihr Gott sich sie nicht! Diestel's fists rocketed out, striking James hard in the chest. He went flying back, as if he had been struck by a full-tilt Brahma bull. He tumbled to the ground a good twenty feet away, and lay there, stunned and unmoving gasping for his wind. There was no hesitation in Durant. A switch had been pulled and his body responded. He swung Isaiah's trench spade with every ounce of his strength, twisting his hips like a cricket batter on the pitch. His strike connected with the side of Diestel's head, making a sick, thudding sound on impact. Diestel barely flinched. Durant hauled back and swung again, shattering the spade's handle on Diestel's skull. Diestel's uppercut smashed into Durant's chin. He never saw the blow coming, just heard the impact and went sprawling backward into the middle of the campsite, landing hard, flat on his back, inches from the fire's coals. Dredd heard the metallic rasp of a shell being chambered. Boom! A shotgun blast ripped through Diesel's chest. His knees did not buckle. There was no collapse. He spun toward the source, Isaiah. Diesel roared and charged. Isaiah did not have time to think. His index finger pulled the trigger and his left hand worked the pump of its own volition, slam-firing shells into Diestel's chest as fast as he could rack the slide. Boom, boom, boom. Unfazed, 
Diesel impaled himself on Isaiah's bayonet and grabbed him by the throat, dragging him down, crushing the life out of him. Isaiah grasped the wrists, helplessly, certain that Diesel was going to tear his windpipe out of his body. From the gloom, James let out a war cry and swung the half-empty rum jug down onto Diesel's head, shattering the crockery to bits. Diesel looked up. A flicker of annoyance ran across his features. He held Isaiah's throat fast with one hand and delivered a backhand fist into James's family jewels with the other that dropped him to his knees with a cry. Bang! 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 The muzzle flash of Renoir's pistol lit up Diesel's face as the Belgian fired point-blank into the demon's head, scattering a spray of misted brain and bone into the air. Diesel let loose an inhuman roar and dropped Isaiah. He stood fast and lunged toward Renoir and raged. But as the Belgian ducked and fell back, Diesel's everything was cut short. The Portuguese cutlass sang through the air, moonlight glinting off steel, straight into Diesel's ropey neck muscles and cartilaginous throat, cracking vertebrae, slicing through his thick trapezius, severing the head from its torso. Francois was sprayed by cold blood as the head spun away from its perch. The torso still stood. It took two faltering, stumbling steps, still hunting Renoir. Then it lost all animation and animus, collapsing in a heap. Francois grabbed Diestel's head by its tow-headed hair, its teeth and jaws clicking and snapping at him, and tossed it into the fire pit. The high-octane rum ignited in a lick of blue flame and began consuming the still-twitching orb. Isaiah was on his knees, trying to get his throat back open and catch his breath at the same time. The one word that made it through was a harsh, raw, <gasps> Motherfucker! Renoir called out, Is everyone all right? Isaiah swallowed and stood. His voice began to make a steady return. Motherfucker! James pulled himself to his feet. The men watched, stunned, as Diestel's head blackened in the fire. Isaiah shot a look at Durant. I thought your lady friend said that motherfucker died. There was a distant pop and the whooshing sound of a very light flare ascending. A second pop sounded when it reached the apex, and the field was bathed in blacks and whites as the magnesium flare cast sputtering illumination, fluttering back down to earth. At the entry of the pasture, a pair of flashlight beams popped on, rushing toward the commotion. Sergeant Bert Thomas and Private Harry Moss appeared out of the gloom. Sergeant Thomas had his rifle in one hand and the very light flare gun in the other. The cockney puncher was past irate. What the fucking bloody hell is going on out here? I'll have you all in court's marshal, you fucking wogs! Bert Thomas's beam scanned down, illuminating Diestel's headless body. He paused, and for a moment, the only sound was the spitting of the flare above them. Jesus Christ on his fucking cross! What are you fucking heathens done? Then, at the far edge of the field, the last light of the falling flare caught a flash of movement. Bert looked up, but before he made out what it was, the very light flamed out. What in hell is that? Bert rested his Enfield on the crook of his arm and popped a 12-gauge flare into the pistol. He cocked the hammer, and fired it skyward. The flare burst and began its descent, putting the field in stark relief. Coming out of a wooded bank of trees, some three hundred meters distant, was a line of men. 
soldiers in field grey, advancing at a walk. Some carried rifles with bayonets affixed. Some bore shining cavalry swords. Some had no weapons but their bare hands. Private Harry Morse cried out in shock, stumbling backward. Bosh! Sergeant Thomas shoved the flare gun into his belt, raised his rifle, and ripped a shot at the incoming line of skirmishers. Bang! The shot zipped in, striking one of the foremost Germans clean through the chest. There was a puff of blood and bone and bits of cotton and wool out of his back. But the man did not falter. He just kept on coming. Renoir had not felt the icy flush of pure, overwhelming terror since his first time charging the German trenches. Having survived that, he chose to fight the remainder of his war as if he were already dead. With that as his compass, any fear that remained in him dissipated into a mere background hum. But the bizarre confrontation with Diesel and something in this coming mass of men struck a chord of terror in his belly that made his body tremble. He choked it down the best he could. Come, we fall back! Renoir led the way and the men responded. Isaiah, Francois, Durant and James grabbed what they could of their kits and ran after him. But Bert Thomas was not one to be bossed about by some bloody Belgian. He aimed again and fired. Again he hit his mark squarely. Yet there was no pause in the man's advance. Fucking hell! Right! Fucking fall back! Harry Moss did not need urging. The same chord of terror that struck Renoir shivered through him. He turned, running flat out, with Sergeant Thomas just behind him. The Germans continued marching on, calm, deliberate, determined. Renoir led Francois, Isaiah, Durant and James at a dead run out of the field toward the stone entranceway of the Abbey Courtyard. Harry Moss came sprinting out of the field behind them, followed by Bert Thomas. Bertie halted at the small drainage ditch beside the road and knelt. Harry Moss just kept on running. Bert hollowed after him. Moss! But Harry disappeared into the night. You fucking yellow bastard! Bert roared. He loaded another flare and uncorked it above the advancing Germans. They were 200 meters away now and closing. James's brand new Springfield rifle caught Isaiah's eye. Give me that! Isaiah slung his shotgun and snatched the Springfield out of James's hands. He crossed the road and knelt beside Bert Thomas. He chambered around and sighted down the barrel. Bam! His bullet cut through the air, supersonic, striking one of the Germans in the shoulder, ripping through. The arm slackened, dead in its socket. But there was no cry of pain, no collapse to the earth. God damn! Isaiah chambered another round. A stream of half-dressed British riflemen came around the abbey on the double-quick toward the sounds of the gunfire. Bert waved and hollered out, To me, lads! To me! Francois ran past the riflemen, sprinting toward the British encampment. Renoir yelled after him, Renoir grabbed Durant. Come, Lieutenant! We head west, to the forest! I'll meet you there. The medical staff, the nurse, the doctor. Oui, but be fast! Durant ran into the courtyard. Isaiah watched the advancing line come out of the darkness as the flare began to burn out. God damn. Renoir called out, Isaiah! Isaiah fired again. Another direct hit. No reaction. Jesus. He chambered another round then looked to Renoir. Go on, I'll catch you. Renoir sprinted after Francois. 
James followed in Durant's footsteps, stumbling into the courtyard toward his parked motorbike. Bert screamed his platoon into battle array. All right, you lot, form up! The riflemen knelt and raised their rifles to their shoulders. Bert popped off another flare, casting the coming horde in its light. Easy targets. Mad minute, lads! Fire at will! Isaiah and the riflemen opened fire. Fast, professional, deadly accurate. To no avail. The Germans kept on. Bert's riflemen emptied their rifles at the oncoming horde, unsure what they were shooting, unsure why their rounds had no effect. But they reloaded anyway, because goddammit to hell, they were professionals. And they fired again. Isaiah was starting to believe that this might not be just some motherfucking bad dream. In the barbed wire stockade, the German troops awakened and tried in vain to catch a glimpse of the action in the field, or at a minimum, understand the import of the yelling and rifle reports. Was rescue at hand, and if so, to men who thought they had escaped the war with their futures intact, and in Jonah Unger's mind, in particular, was rescue and return to the German army, a desired outcome. Durant ran past first, followed by James, who split off toward his motorcycle. Major Wilkins came racing down the front stairs into the courtyard and came face to face with Durant. Lieutenant, report. You're under assault, Major. Is there a strong point in the line near here? Nothing. We hold here or they create a salient 50 miles deep. You'll never hold them. Wilkins set his jaw. We are the British Army, Lieutenant. We will do what we must. Durant blew past him, running up the steps into the aid station. Wilkins strode toward the gates and the sounds of gunfire. At his motorbike, James's shaking fingers filled the carburetor and primed the chamber. He worked the manual spark advance and gave the bike a kick. No love from the machine. God damn it! James kicked the pedal a second time. Nothing. Come on, motherfucker! Isaiah Taylor would have been proud. Isaiah fired again from amongst the British riflemen. Another direct hit, but nothing put these things down and it was in this moment that he knew with certainty that things was the correct word to put to them. Major Wilkins arrived at a jog. He saw the approaching line of Germans, now one hundred-some yards distant. Hold your fire! The rifleman's fire abated. Owen Wilkins stared out at the advancing Germans as the flare burned out, again casting the field into darkness. He heard his men, the clatter of rapid reloading, crisp bolt actions, their breath blowing in and out, driven by fear they were trying to control. Sergeant Thomas, report. Bert found himself struggling to find the words. His ears were ringing from the gunfire, and he felt an unaccustomed dread-induced nausea. Sir! I don't know, sir. Jerry's. Company strength, I warrant. Well, you hit them, and they just keep coming. Right. Fix bayonets. Bert choked down his fear. He marshaled his men. Fix bayonets! A flare, Sergeant. Bert's shaking hands reloaded his flare gun. He fired it into the night sky. It popped, lighting up the line of men now less than 100 yards away. Isaiah stood up and slung the Springfield over his shoulder. Major Wilkins saw him beginning to fall back. Hold the line, Corporal. I got no bayonet for this rifle, sir. Not fresh out of bullets. Besides, I ain't under your command. I'm with them legionnaires, and I got my orders. Y'all have fun. With that, Isaiah threw him a salute and ran for the courtyard. James kicked the pedal again, and this time the spark found purchase, roaring the little engine to life. 
James let out a whoop of pure joy. Isaiah came tearing around the corner into the courtyard. What's going on out there? Asked James, his voice shaking. Devil's coming, boy. Everybody's gonna die. He tossed the Springfield to James, who nearly dropped it and the motorcycle. That thing fit, too? James was dumbstruck. Y yes He swung the Springfield over his shoulder and pushed the Triumph off its center stand. Isaiah climbed on behind him and shot a glance across the courtyard at the caged Germans. Strathman and Unger stood behind the cage, watching. Isaiah grabbed James's arm. Shit. Hold up! Isaiah unlimbered his shotgun as he jumped off the motorcycle. He chambered a shell as he crossed the courtyard and hollered to Strothman. You speak English, yeah? Strothman nodded. Well, it looks like y'all soldiers is coming, but I'm pretty sure it ain't what it looks like. If I was y'all, I'd be running myself as far from here as possible. Isaiah aimed at the padlock. Step out the way. Boom! The latch was blown to bits, leaving a gaping hole where it had been. Strothman opened the gate, he and Unger, trailed by the other prisoners, pushed out into the courtyard uncertainly. Isaiah ran back to the Triumph and climbed on. James gunned the throttle and they tore out of the courtyard. As they roared onto the road, Isaiah yelled to James, Stop a minute! James braked and they came to a halt, idling on the cobblestones. Under the light of the flare, they watched Owen Wilkins' platoon, bayonets fixed, marching across the field at a walk that grew into a steady jog toward their adversaries. Charge! Owen's battle cry echoed back to them. The assault hit the Germans violently, sporadic gunfire, then close-quarter bayonet thrusts. There was a brief moment when the German line seemed as though it might break, a blip in their momentum. It did not last. Like a man brushing off a gnat, they suffered the attack, then tore into the British platoon with their weapons and hands, their strength inhuman, their violence brutal, joyful, unstoppable. James did not wait for Isaiah's say-so. He twisted the throttle grip, roaring the bike off the road, leaving the carnage behind them. Durant ran through the darkened halls of the abbey, calling out, Hello, is anybody in here? A door opened, casting light into the hallway. Chaplain Davies stood in the portal. What's going on? The door across the hall swung wide, and Dr. Halstead was there. Durant bit back his own fear and focused, containing his terror in hopes of fortifying them against theirs. Out the back, now. We're being overrun. Where's the nurse? Davies tightened his robe and straightened up in protest at the unlikelihood. But we're miles from the front. Durant cut him off. We are being overrun, you understand? Where's the nurse? Caitlin? Nurse O'Leary's quarters are on the second floor. Durant left them behind, running back to the front entryway and the stairwell. Halstead started for the back door of the abbey. Davies didn't move. Let's go, Padre, let's go. Davies snapped into the moment. He grabbed his Wellingtons. He shambled after Dr. Halstead as fast as he could, toward the back door and into the night. Durant reached the stairs. He raced up them two at a time. Unger, Strothman, and the German prisoners huddled in the courtyard, hesitant. In the distance, they heard the brutality in the field. Strothman was the ranking officer. You all stay here. Unger and the other prisoners watched Strothman cross the cobblestones and disappear out the gate. Jonah did not want to follow, but something compelled him. He ignored Strothman's order and broke into a jog to catch him. Strothman stepped out of the courtyard with Unger a bare moment behind. They pulled up short and saw the last moments of slaughter revealed in the dying light of Bert's last flare. The British platoon was finished. A handful still moaned and wailed on the ground. One at a time, 
their cries were extinguished by Germans who could not be men. Major Owen Wilkins, the last man alive, on his hands and knees, holding in his intestines, was dragging himself back toward the abbey. Strothman and Unger watched a figure in a German uniform approach him. Even from this distance they could hear Owen's plaintive appeal. No, I surrender. I surrender. A booming voice replied in German. Ich wehe. I know. It shoved its sword bayonet through Owen Wilkins' back, collapsing his body in a heap. Unger could not contain the cry that came out of him. No! The horde turned to look toward them. And the flare burned out, turning the whole field impenetrably black. Then they heard it. The sound of men running in the grass, building momentum, until it was a sprint, then a chaotic charge, invisibly closing the distance with them, an avalanche of rage and violence coming out of blackness. Strothman pushed Unger back toward the courtyard. Run! Run! Unger ran. Durant pounded through the second floor halls, calling out, Nurse! Hello! From behind the safety of a locked door, he heard her voice. I'm here. Nurse, it's Lieutenant Durant. Caitlin opened the door. What's happening out there? Are they wounded? He saw that she'd been working, folding clean bandages into piles in the infirmary. We're being overrun. You gotta come with me now. He held out a hand, trying not to spook her. He repeated, Please, you gotta come with me right now. She could not hear it in his voice, but she saw it in his eyes. Fear. She grabbed his hand, and they ran down the hall toward the stairwell. Strothman and Unger came back into the courtyard, racing toward the steps of the abbey. One of the German prisoners, a young Bavarian, Sergeant Karl Zinke, called out to Strothman. Hauptmann, have they come to rescue us? Strothman barked his reply. No! Run! Unger was first up the steps and through the door of the abbey. At the top step, Strothman stopped and turned. The other prisoners were still in the yard, uncertain. Idiots! Run for your damned lives! Are you deaf? Zinke was stunned at Strothman's response. These are our countrymen. No, they're not. Strothman caught movement at the courtyard entryway. Beneath the arched stone gable stood a young man in a dirty German uniform. The killer of Owen Wilkins still held the long bayonet in his hand. Karl Zinke walked toward him. My countrymen! The man in the archway looked at Zinke. No, comrade. No country. No countryman. He impaled Karl Zinke on the bayonet. Inhuman strength shoved the bayonet clean through. Zinke screamed wetly and thrashed his arms. Blood poured from the wound, smattering the cobblestones. Then the demon lifted him off his feet and tossed him aside. Karl hit the stone wall with a wet thud and collapsed to the ground. There was a flurry of movement behind Karl Zinke's killer. Then a flood of the demons stampeded through the gate, charging into the stunned German prisoners, rolling over them. A tidal wave of rage tearing them to ribbons. Strothman turned and ran into the abbey, slamming the door closed behind him, shutting out the chaos and screams of dying men. He shoved the deadbolt home. Unger was waiting, hyperventilating. Clatter of boots on the stairs. Unger spun and saw Durant leading Caitlin down the stairwell. Durant froze when he saw Strothman and Unger. Strothman barely formed the words. They are here. 
Durant guided him with a shove. Out the back! Go! Bam! Something hit the door like a battering ram. Durant drew his pistol. He aimed it at the door. Go! Caitlin did not need a second bidding. She ran down the hall, Strothman and Unger behind her. Durant's hand tightened on the pistol grip. Bam! The door rattled on its hinges. Bam! The center split in two. A face appeared in the break. Bang! 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 Durant emptied six bullets into the thing, point blank. The rounds ripped through its chest, each one hitting the mark. But the demon was not phased. It paused and stared through the gap, locking eyes with Durant. It was the face of a young man. Dark hair, blue eyes, pale skin. The boy Durant stabbed. The boy he watched die. The boy he buried that morning. A voice rumbled up from the depths of hell. Malacency all oft nung de here he uncommon. Abandoned to less work and twenty sea. Abandon all hope. Ye winter here. Durant turned and ran. The door exploded inward with the force of the demon's kick. It stepped through the portal. It broke into a sprint after him. Durant tore through the building in full flight, lungs burning. On his heels came the demon. Its fellows, finished with the courtyard, poured through the shattered door, close behind, a pack of rabid wild things, hot on the scent of fresh blood. Ahead of Durant stood the back door. He hit it in stride, bursting out into the night. The long, wet grass was thick and dark green in the moonlight. Durant's boots raced through it toward the vacant British encampment as fast as his legs would carry him. If he made it to the camp, if he made it to the woods beyond, the demon on Durant's heels leapt. It landed on his back, tackling and tumbling with him into the grass. Durant came to a stop a few feet away from it. He tried to get to his knees, but the demon was on him, wrenching him onto his back, pinning him to the ground. Laughing, it grabbed his throat with both hands. The anointed angel comes! It shrieked, ecstatic. Behind them, the other demons halted, watching the spectacle. The boy on Durant's chest sat back. His grip on Durant's neck was like steel. Durant slipped his dagger free, and just as he had done to the German major in the trenches, he shoved it up under the boy's ribs, thrusting it solidly home. The boy just smiled. The anointed angel comes. A fusillade of machine gun bullets tore into the demon's chest. The force of the lead rounds knocked him backward, and he lost his grip on Durant's neck. Isaiah cleared the chamber on the smoking Lewis gun and sprayed a burst of rounds toward the other demons at hand. Beside him were Renoir and Francois, a flamethrower strapped to his back, the lance in his gloved hands. Renoir struck flint, and the pilot on Francois's flamethrower flamed up, burning bright blue and orange. Run, Lieutenant, run! Renoir cried out. Durant rolled to his feet and raced toward them. Francois pulled the trigger on the flamethrower, and a gout of flaming petroleum erupted from the lance, engulfing the nearest demons. He swept back and forth with the liquid fire, catching more of the screaming host in the flame and driving the rest back into the abbey. As Renoir, Durant, and Isaiah ran for the forest, a concentrated spray ignited the building facade, and Francois poured it on until the flamethrower began to lose propulsion. When it had emptied, he tore the empty canister off his back, tossed the lance aside, and backed away from the inferno. 
Behind him, James Cox brought his motorcycle to a stop. Hurry! Francois threw his leg over the rear pillion seat. James throttled the engine, almost dumping the bike in the wet grass. But the rear tire found purchase, and they hauled for the tree line. Renoir, Durant, and Isaiah sprinted to the woods, gasping for breath. There, beneath the old forest canopy, they found Unger, Strathman, Chaplain Davies in his Wellington boots, Dr. Halstead, and Caitlin waiting. In the distance, the old wood that undergirded the stones of the abbey burned with ferocity. James's triumph headlight bounced up and down across the furrowed field. He pulled to a stop beside them. Francois jumped off the back. We must go! From the dark of the wood came a voice. Its Russo-Siberian accent cut through the night. Yes, we must. Durant saw him first. Grigori! Out of the woods came the Russian, Grigori, bared Cossack saber in hand. He grabbed Durant by the shoulder and shoved him aside, swinging his saber through the space Durant had just occupied. It crashed into a sword that dead Sergeant Bertie Thomas swung out of the darkness behind Durant. The blades met and Bert's sword shattered on contact with the Cossack steel. Bert dropped the useless pommel and grabbed for Grigori, but the Russian was too fast. He spun away and allowed the momentum to turn him, following the spin with his saber, arcing the blade into the demon's neck, separating Bert's head from his torso. There was silence as his body collapsed joining its head on the ground. The little company was breathless, their eyes searching the woods for other pursuers. But none appeared. In the distance, the abbey crackled and burned, the whole exterior now engulfed in flame. Then a grating, guttural voice barked out of Bert's decapitation. The anointed angel comes. Glassy, dead eyes stared skyward, the mouth was the only thing animated. The anointed angel comes, it growled and crackled. The anointed angel comes. Isaiah's shotgun was in his hands and chambering a shell. He aimed it at the disembodied head. Fucking talking head. Grigori calmly pushed Isaiah's shotgun barrel away. Speak, demon. Echoes us, demon. It must look into its own glass. The anointed angel comes, and with him a host to end you all. The anointed angel comes, the anointed angel- Boom! Bert's head was shattered by the shotgun blast. Isaiah lowered the weapon and ejected the empty shell. I think we got the fucking picture. Anointed angel is a coming. Durant looked to Grigori. Grigori was purposeful. Follow me. He disappeared into the woods. Durant followed without a word. Caitlin and Strothman, trailed by Unger, went after them. Then Renoir, Francois, Halstead, and Chaplain Davies vanished into the canopy. Isaiah grabbed up his pack. He saw James staring open-mouthed at the dead body and the decapitation. Isaiah nudged him. We got to go. James did not know it, but he was in shock. His body was vibrating, and he felt his heart race as if it wanted to leap out of his chest. The words did not even make sense to him when they came from his mouth. I'd hate to just leave my motorcycle behind. Isaiah looked from Bert's headless corpse back to the inferno. Shit, boy, I'd hate to just leave my body behind. With that, Isaiah ducked into the woods. James, suddenly all alone with the corpse, cut the engine 
and dropped the pretty machine. He ran into the dark forest after him. <laughs>